Hey church, good to see you. Man, packed house. It's funny what chili will do, right? Chili every Sunday. So good to see you all here. Uh, super, super grateful. If you're joining us online and you just heard me say chili and you forgot it was today, there's still time. You've got about 30 minutes to make it up here before we start eating some chili. So um, this is Family Worship Sunday, as Jeremy talked about earlier, and just want to reiterate why we do this. So like every Sunday we gather together as God's family, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are the people of God, we are the family of God. Um, but that's fully expressed when we bring together all of our families, our small families together. And so four times a year we do that. We, um, we basically shut down kids' men and student ministry um, and, and bring all the kiddos in here pre-K and up just to, to worship with us, to get to watch you, the parents, worship, uh, to get to watch you respond to God's word and to get to watch you get uncomfortable and squirm when the Holy Spirit starts convicting and pointing things out. And, and, and more than anything, we, we want to get together a few times a year as the full expression of the family of God, and that's why we do Sundays like today. Uh, today happened to line up with our chili cook-off, which is extra sweet. And so after this service, we're doing uh, chili cook-off. It's basically lunch here provided. If you didn't know about it, you didn't register, you didn't bring any chili, you're not welcome. Go home. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, stay away from desserts. Those are mine, okay? If you didn't register, you don't get any dessert. But you can have chili. There's plenty to go around. So even if you didn't plan on staying, I hope you will. Just hang around, eat lunch with us, um, share in a time of fellowship. It's going to be a really, really, su really sweet time uh, to just to kind of be the family of God. Uh, for an afternoon, so uh, please join us for that. All right, so we are in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 20. This is the end of 20. Uh, we've made it to what really is, is probably best explained as John's thesis statement or his summary statement, not just what he has written, but why he wrote to us this Gospel. And, uh, and if you're just visiting with us, just joining us, haven't been here visiting with us, We've been going through the Gospel of John now, and we'll finish right before Thanksgiving. And so we will, we will have spent the better part of two years working through the Gospel of John. And so now in chapter 20, we get to verse 30, where John tells us, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John um, explicitly tells us why he took time to write down this gospel account. But he also adds to that his motive of why he did it. Like, he, he wrote this down, it's really important, right, for us to see Jesus the right way, but he's hoping that something will happen in us when we read these words. Now, we will have, by the time we get to the end of the series, we will have read the Gospel of John, every word, out loud together as the body of Christ. And what John tells us is that when we do that, his hope is that you would believe something. And then he says, and if you believe this, something amazing is going to happen in your life. And so we're going to unpack this together. Now, kiddos, I'm especially glad that you're in the services today. And at the end of the sermon, there's going to be a pop quiz down front. I'm going to have you come down, so make sure you're listening, because I'm pretty sure you're going to have the right answers, and you're going to need to go home and give those answers to your parents later today. So you be listening, kiddos, because you're going to come down front at the end of the sermon. We're going to talk about this together. So first of all, what John says to us is this, that Jesus did a whole lot more than what he wrote down. Okay. So the Gospel of John, he writes down, eight miracles that he refers to as signs that are meant to point us 
towards something, or better yet, someone. Now, Jesus did a whole lot more, is what he's saying. If you look at all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you excavate out of those four Gospels all the miracles that are accounted for, you get around 35 different miracles or signs that Jesus performed. Now, what John's going to tell us in the next chapter is that Jesus did a whole lot more than even that. Like, if you try to write down everything that he did and quote everything that he said, there's not enough books in the world to contain the whole story. So he's not telling us the whole story, but what he is saying is, I wrote these down, these really important things, that the disciples and I saw with our own eyes that you might believe. Now, John isn't the only um, biblical author who gives us his intentions of why he wrote. Paul will often do this in his letters to the churches. I'm writing to you so that. I'm writing to you to, to, to make a change. I'm writing to you to answer some questions that you've been asking. Well, Peter, one of the other disciples, uh, writes some letters as well, and he gives us not only his intentions behind why he writes, but he tells us something that's really helpful in understanding the significance of what John just wrote down in his gospel. So in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter is writing, and this is his second letter. And in verse 16, he says this about himself and about the other apostles who have written some things down. He says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So Peter's like, listen, you've got to listen to me. We are not making these things up. The things that we are writing about, we saw with our own eyes. And then what he's going to refer to is a really unique moment in Jesus' ministry. It was a moment shared with Jesus and with uh, James and John and Peter. The other disciples weren't even there. We call this moment the transfiguration, where Jesus goes away with those three, Peter, James, and John, and he transfigures himself before them and allows them for a brief moment to behold his majesty and his glory. And in this transfigured moment, God speaks from heaven and says about Jesus, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And so Peter, in 2 Peter 1, is about to refer to that. When he says in verse 17, for when he, Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is what Peter says, we ourselves heard this voice born from heaven. We were with him on the holy mountain. So Peter's saying, is, I'm writing about things that I saw with my own eyes. What John is saying is, I'm writing about the things that, that me and the other disciples saw with our own eyes. And I, I love just the honesty that comes out of the gospel of John. We saw this a few weeks ago whenever they were going to the tomb, and John's just like, I flat out outran Peter to the tomb, and then Peter goes sliding in the tomb in front of John. He's just unfolding it how it happened. He's not trying to script it the way we would expect a heroic story to go. Matter of fact, we're going to see in a, in a week or so that at the very end that, that he actually is going to redeem Peter because there's another appearance of Jesus where Peter swims like 100 yards from the boat to the shore and beats the disciples who are on a boat. He's just telling the story how it happened. He's not trying to make it up or, or sell anything to you. He's just saying, this is what happened. 
And I believe that if you will read the words about what happened, the same thing that happened to me will happen to you. That's what John's saying. That's what Peter's saying. Listen to what else Peter says. Peter says this, and we, this is again reading in in 2 Peter 1, verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. So Peter is referring, first of all, to the Old Testament as a prophetic word. Peter's saying, listen, I believed it on some level before I met Jesus, but after three years with Jesus and his death and then his resurrection, it's more fully confirmed. Like, I believe it, believe it. The prophecies are true. The words that God spoke through the prophets can be trusted. We have this prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you, listen to this, will do well to pay attention to it. So why should I pay attention to the words of Scripture? He says, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Peter's saying this, this is literally like a flashlight in a dark room. Why would you not, in a dark room, pay attention to the light? It'd be foolish to be in a dark room with the light in your hand, shining it on the ground, but not paying attention to what the light is shining on. He's saying, listen, you would do well to pay attention to God's word like that. Like a lamp shining in a dark place. And then listen to what Peter says, not just about his writings and not just about the Old Testament writings, but even the writings of John. Verse 20, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Now this is interesting, because John just got through telling us what his will is what his intentions are, right? This is why I wrote this down. And Peter's looking, he must be looking at a bigger picture here when he's saying, listen, none of us wrote by our own interpretation or by our own will. But look at what Peter says. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now to fully understand what Peter's describing, And to fully understand what John is saying, what we have to picture is with each biblical author who sits down and says, you know what, I've got something to say. I have something to write about God that matters. I want people to to know what I know, to read what I have seen. With each biblical author who sits down and takes time to write, the Holy Spirit of God is there, reaching over, if you will, their shoulder, Laying the will of God on top of the will of man. Laying the intentions of God on top of the intentions of man. This is what we call superintention. Guiding each biblical author word by word, phrase by phrase, until the last word is written. And so while, yes, John is saying, here's why I have written, what we're also reading is the Holy Spirit of God is saying, pay attention to John's gospel. Because it's not just John's will being unfolded. The Holy Spirit is speaking through God's word. And John tells us, Jesus did a whole lot of other things I could have written about. And he did them in the presence of his disciples. We saw it with our own eyes. These things are not written about in this book. But here's why I wrote these things down. 
I wrote these down that you would believe. Now, before we get to what he wants us to believe in or who he wants us to believe in, let's talk for a minute about this idea of belief. We have a very soft, shallow version of belief in our day and time and our culture. Like we can apply this to almost anything. Who believes that broccoli is good for you? Okay, about 30% of the audience. Who believes that broccoli is actually poisonous and put here on by the government <laughs> to control population? See, we believe a lot of different things. So, so what does he mean? What word is he using? What expression is coming out of the Gospel of John that he wants us to apply to Jesus? This, this, this Greek word, pastuo, um, it does mean to believe something is true, but the question that comes up, well, then how true? Because quite frankly, I like broccoli. That's true, but you may not like broccoli. So what's true for me may not be true for you. So when we say something's true, how true is it? This, this word that John uses means that you would believe it is absolutely always true. As we say in Parker County, you can hang your hat on it. It won't let you down. It won't back away from you. You'll never get to the end of this truth, to where this truth runs out and you've got to figure things out. It is absolutely true all of the time. This is why we approach God's word with a sense of reverence. People ask me about Solid Rock Church, tell me about your church. I say one of the things that, that's true about our church is we have a high view of Scripture. Not higher than our view of, of God himself, but we have a high view of Scripture. We treat it as an inerrant, infallible word that comes inspired by the Holy Spirit through human authors. And when we pay attention to it, it's like a light shining in a dark room. So we pay attention to it. Why? Because it points us to Christ. This is what John is saying. I wrote these down to point you to someone that you would believe in him. But this word pastuo means more than just belief. It also means to believe something to the point that it draws you to action. And really the bridge between belief and action is this concept of trust. That you would trust in this thing you claim to believe in. There's an illustration that I've used a dozen times. I got from some other preacher um, with a wheelbarrow. Talking about how, what it, the difference between just believing versus trusting. You've heard me say it. You can use like the Grand Canyon or Niagara Falls and some big, you know, high canyon space with a tightrope. And there's a guy who's going to take a wheelbarrow across it. And he says to the crowd, how many of you believe I can do this? And some of the crowd cheers him on. And sure enough, he tightropes all the way across and then comes back. And they're all cheering for him. He's like, okay, now how many of you believe? And everybody's like, yes, we believe. He's like, okay, who's going to get in the wheelbarrow? Right? And the illustration never falls flat. Why? Because what we're talking about is not just that you believe that it's true, but that you trust in it. And if you're to get in the wheelbarrow, it's to take your hand off of anything else that you're trusting in. And far too many times we want Christ in our right hand, and then we want something else over here. What I can achieve for myself, my education, my career, my family, my friendships, my stuff. My reality, my perception. Yes, I believe in Jesus, but I've got one hand on the world over here. And the word that John is using is, is this idea that you believe to the point that you say, I'm all in. And you take your hand off of anything else that you find security in, and you get in the spiritual wheelbarrow. Say, Christ, I'm trusting you. This is do or die. There's do or die. We're either going to make it or we're not, but there's no, no turning back. And that's the concept of belief that John is writing about. Now, this is the difference between 
being gospel-informed versus being gospel-transformed. And really, we need to listen up, church, especially those of us who grew up in the South and the Bible Belt. Like, there's a good chance everybody in the room has heard some version of the gospel, or you've seen John 3.16 spray-painted on a bridge, or you've seen it in a tattoo. So you're familiar with this idea of God sending his son. And that the, the cross has something to do with that, and that Jesus died on a cross. And then, oh yeah, Easter comes around, and oh, he didn't stay dead, he rose from the, from the grave. And that somehow I'm supposed to invite this Jesus into my heart, and then, right, then what happens? Then I go to heaven. Like, that's not news to most everybody in the room. Now, it's not fully the gospel. But almost everybody in the room is gospel-informed. But what we're, what we're wanting, though, what John is aiming at is gospel-transformed. Okay, and so no transformation, right, means what? That we don't truly pastuo, believe and trust in Christ. And so what is he aiming at with our belief? He's aiming at Christ himself, that you and I would believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God. Now, this is really important because he's really covering a lot of, of scriptural ground here. See, this idea that Jesus is the Christ, that's the, 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 the Greek expression of the of the hebrew concept of the messiah the promised one and all throughout the old testament god is promising to send a rescuer from the moment that adam and eve fall in the garden and now the curse of sin and death is hanging over creation god begins to hint and speak of this one who is to come a messiah and the further along you go in the old testament the more descriptions we get of the old testament we're told that he's going to be like moses but better He's going to be like Abraham, but better. He's going to be like David, but better. And then Isaiah tells us, oh yeah, not only is he going to be better, but he's also going to suffer for the people. And by his wounds, we will be healed. And his Father in heaven will be pleased to send him as such a sacrifice for the nations. And so the, the, the nation of Israel, they long for this Messiah to show up, this rescuer who would make all things new and make all things right and bring in a new covenant because the old one's not working. Try harder isn't working. I can't, I can't find transformation in white-knuckling my way through life. We need a rescuer. But what the nation of Israel didn't realize is that the rescuer would be none other than God's son. He wasn't going to send another prophet. He wasn't going to send a, a famous preacher or teacher. He wasn't going to just send a spiritual guide. God was preparing the world to send his son. So what John is saying is incredibly profound. That if we will listen to his words and believe that Jesus is the Christ and the son of God, that we will actually have sent him. Now it's interesting the way John describes Jesus to us all throughout the gospel starting in actually the first chapter first verse if you guys can remember all the way back two years ago when we were in John 1 verse 1 here's just a few few of the ways that John wants us to think about Jesus he says in the beginning was the word and he's calling Jesus the word and the word was with God and the word was God those are big statements how did God create the universe just a pop quiz he spoke it into existence this reference here to Jesus is so much more than just the way we would use the word word. He's saying, listen, you need to see Jesus as a significant piece in the cosmos. That he was with God and he was God. And then look at what he says. 
verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Let me just write it two different ways. Everything was made through him, and right, nothing was made that wasn't made through him. Like, he wants us to see Jesus as the creator. So it wasn't like God the Father sent Jesus outside to play while he created the universe. When God said, let us make man in our image, we're talking about Father, Son, and Spirit creating the universe. That's the one who, G who John wants us to believe in, the Christ, the Son of God. He says in verse 4 of J John 1, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, that you and I have life today, both physically and spiritually, only because of Christ. He is the author and the source of life itself. The Apostle Paul in Colossians describes Jesus this way in verse one, or chapter 116. He says, for by him all things were what? Created. That's a big concept. We would assume that he's just speaking about God generally, but he's speaking specifically about Christ. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him. Paul's talking the same way about Jesus that John is, isn't he? It's interesting, if you go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, listen to this description of the creation of man. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. That's who John is talking about, Jesus, at creation. When, when we were formed out of the dust, that it was Jesus himself breathing life into our nostrils. So this is no small thing that John is getting at here. When he talks about believing and trusting in this one Jesus, he wants us to see Jesus as the creator and the sustainer of all things. And something will happen in us. He says it just quite simply that you will have life in his name. What do you mean life? Like I'm already alive. Like I'm breathing. I'm alive. What do you mean? If you go back through the Gospel of John at the references where he refers to life as something that Jesus gives to us, we get to John 3.16. Maybe you've heard of this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, here's that word again, believes in him, should not perish but have eternal life. So that's life everlasting. That's life that doesn't end, life that goes on. Life past this life is found in Christ. By believing in him, you will have eternal life. Can we just be honest? If that's all that it means, I don't know that that's good news for some of us. Why would I want to go on forever suffering? Why would I want to go on living forever with my depression or my anxiety or my hardships, my loneliness, my brokenness, my grief. So how does it become good news? So we get to the Gospel of John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He's quoting Jesus. What does Jesus say? But I have come to give you life, and life what? Abundantly. Now that Greek word is interesting because it does mean quantity, Life that doesn't end, that's eternal life. But it also means quality. To give you a different quality of life that does not end. Now I can get on board for that. Right? Like I don't know that I want to be on board 
everlasting life, just continual suffering, suffering, suffering. But if I can have a higher quality of life that doesn't end, I'm in on that. And that's what John is promising to us if we believe that he will actually have life. I think of it a couple of different ways. I think of the words joy, security, and peace. You were meant to have those things. Foreign concepts to some, but you were meant to have those things. Like a true inner peace, even in the midst of outer turmoil. A true sense of security, even in the face of your adversaries and your enemies. That you know you're in God's hands. If God is for you, who can be against you? You do not fear what man can do to you. Why? Because you're secure. And you're also meant to have joy. Did you guys hear the, verse that, the verses that Jason Martin read earlier from Romans 5? We rejoice in the access that we have to the Father through Christ. He goes, oh, but wait, wait, wait. We also rejoice in what? Our suffering. Rejoicing in suffering? Why? Because we know that God does not waste pain. Suffering is producing something amazing within us that we wouldn't have otherwise character endurance steadfastness and hope they're all some of the products that come out of my suffering and so even in our suffering we can have joy now here's the good news when this life is done and we step into the rest of eternal everlasting life that goes on and on and on guess what we'll have peace security and joy unending you want that that i think that's good news John says quite simply, you want that? Here's how you get it. You believe. And when I say believe, I mean you believe to the point that you trust that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you will have life in his name. Eternal, abundant life. That's good news. All right, so kiddos, I don't know that all the adults fully understood what I talked through, so I'm going to do some illustrations for them. But while I'm doing those illustrations for them, I'd love for you to join me right down front so if you're a kiddo from like pre-k to fifth grade um and you're and you're willing would you come down here maybe and grab a seat or a spot here on the floor all right first of all i just want to make sure we understand kind of what we walked through today so first question is who wrote the gospel of john trick question oh look at that that's not really a trick question who wrote the gospel of john Okay, John, who helped him write it? Does anybody know this? This one's tricky. Who helped him write it? God, that's right. The Holy Spirit was helping John write the gospel. See, I told you, they're, they're out here going, what? Nobody out here raised their hands. All right, so here's what I want you to think about John. Suppose that you wanted to put together a soccer team. Does anybody like soccer? Oh, yeah, I do. Some of you like soccer. You like, yeah, you do soccer. Awesome. So suppose you were going to put together a soccer team, and I know you guys don't write letters anymore, so you, well, you send text messages. So you're going to text a bunch of friends, okay, to get them to be on your soccer team. What are some of the things that you might send in a text message to your friends to get them to be on your soccer team? What's one thing you would say? First two weeks what? Oh, all right. Come join her soccer team because the first two weeks – are free. You have a career in marketing waiting for you. Infomercial. Oh, three weeks just to really entice them in. Okay, what would you say to your friends to get them to be on your soccer team? 
Oh, my team is a Christian team. Okay, that's great. Yours too? Of course it is. And you get free weeks. Uh, somebody has something different that you might tell one of your friends to be on your soccer team? What would you say to your friends? It's going to be fun. Okay, what do you have? A really good prize at the end. Ooh, I like that. Hey, listen real quick. This is what John is doing in his gospel, except he's not putting together a soccer team. You know what he's putting together? A kingdom of Christians. And he's telling us all the reasons why we should want to be on Jesus' team. That's pretty cool, huh? And so he says, hey, I'm writing this letter. I'm sending you these messages because I want you to know some really awesome things about being on Jesus' team. Just one second, because I feel like you're smarter than me, and I probably will run out of answers in a minute. And I mean that. So, but here's what he says. If you want to be on Jesus' team, you have to do what? Did anybody remember what we read? Yeah. It starts with a B. Believe. That's what it takes to be on Jesus' team. You have to believe. So I think it's important that we understand what believe looks like. What do you think? Y'all ready to see what belief looks like? All right, so I, guess what I brought? Woo! Here it is. Now, I don't have Niagara Falls. I couldn't get it to fit in here, but I do have a wheelbarrow. I'll bet you will. <laughs> bet you will. Now, now I've got a question for y'all. I want to know which ones of you believe that I can push this wheelbarrow all the way across without falling off. Does anybody believe I can do that? Just raise your hand. Does anybody think that I'm going to fall off, maybe? So I've got some doubters. Hey, I love the honesty. All right, y'all want to see if I can do it? Think I can make it? Now, remember, this is, I can't see, because the Wilbur's, I can't see the front tire. This is kind of scary. i got to kind of get up here and, whoa. All right, so some of you said you think I can make it, right? I think I can. Yeah, thank you, Farah. All right, here we go. So I'm going to see if I can make it all the way across without falling off. Now, somebody's going to have to tell me when to stop, because I can't see. Stop. You sure? Okay, I can't see. All right. Now, who thinks I can do it backwards? Whoa, we got some on. Barry, I love it. Anybody, anybody think that I'm going to fall off if I try it backwards? Some more awesome, honest people. Okay, let's see if I can do it backwards. Now, I can't see. Thank you. I needed you in the first service, Farrah. You're doing so good. Okay, so I'm going back. Tell me when I get there. Keep some more. Okay. Stop, stop. Okay, stop, okay, okay. Stop. Now, wow, I made it. Wow. Woo. All right, for all you naysayers, I just proved you wrong. Now, now how many of you believe I can do it? Everybody believes I can do it now. Now, here comes the, here's the question, though. Here's the question. Who's willing to get in the wheelbarrow? Farah, you want to, you want, well, you need to check in with your parents first to make sure it's okay. All right, perfect. They're releasing liability. Okay, so you need to come up on this, go up those stairs, and then come meet me over here. Now, the big question is, which adult's going to come get in next? Uh huh. Now, this is, hey. All right. Now, this is a big deal. Okay, before you get in, now listen, she, hold my hand for a second, okay? So she's got to make a decision. Scoot over that way just a little bit more. Does she, is she willing to let go of my hand and get into this wheelbarrow and take her hands off of everything else and trust me? Are you willing to do that? Okay. I'm holding the wheelbarrow. 
You're going to have to hang on to the wheelbarrow. Okay, you want to see where we're going? You can face that way. All right, are you ready? Okay, listen, we're going to have to trust all of them to tell us when to stop because I can't see. You can? Okay, you be watching, okay? All right, here we go. You ready? Okay, so we're up. Somebody's already saying stop. All right, this is a big deal. You ready? Now do you believe? Do you still believe? You do? Okay. Here we go. Your mommy's heart's beating like 150 beats a minute. We're going to let them tell us. Okay, all right. We made, we made it. Now, Farah, do you believe we can do it backwards? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. sorry. Thank you. I told you you were smarter than me. Do you think I can make it backwards? No. <laughs> hey, are you willing to trust me? Okay, fine. Okay, fine. She's going to trust me. Okay, hold steady. No, you stay there. Okay, you hang on with both hands and you look forward. Here we go. You look forward. Where are we going? We're going backwards. Now, this is trust. This is trust. <laughs> I, can, I, I can't stop here. If I stop here, we got nowhere to stand. We're almost there. Hey, wait. Do you, tr do you trust me, Farron? Okay. We're going to come back a little further. <laughs> yes, I trust you, but stop. And stop. All right. Big hand for Farron. Thank you. All right, you can come back down here now. Whew, who was nervous? My palms are sweaty. I made it. All right, let me park this back under here. Who wants to go next? Uh, I don't know that I can do it again. All right, so hey, listen. All right, everybody have a seat real quick. This is really important, really, really important. Before we got to, uh, before we started church today, we were praying back there in the back room, and um, Evan Kirby, I don't know if you know who Evan is, um, but he was praying for us, and he was praying that God would speak and move in our services today, our, our time together, that God would speak to us, and that he would move. And then we just heard Jason Martin leading us in worship, and he was praying that same thing. Now, I know even adults on a day like today where it's like chili cook-off and family worship, and it feels more like fall festival, and Maybe not the day that you expect God to move or speak. But what we just learned together is that when we open God's word and we read it, God speaks. The same way he spoke to John when he was writing that letter, he's speaking to all of us here today. And I want to end here. This is for all the kids, but this is also for all the grown-ups. If you have not come to that place in your life where you personally have gotten in the wheelbarrow, and by that I mean placed your trust and your faith and your belief in Jesus and him alone to the point where you were willing to like let go and take hold of Jesus and him alone and say, Jesus, I trust you. We're either going to make it or we're not, but there's no turning back. If you have not come to that place in your life, I'm going to pray in a minute that you would make that decision before you leave here today. And while I pray in just a minute, you guys can go back to your seats with your parents and our prayer partners are going to come forward. So if you want somebody to talk with you and pray with you today, we'll have prayer partners here. Um, our elders will be on site throughout the chili cook-off. If you want to grab somebody, we don't mind being late to lunch to talk with you and pray with you, okay? But we've asked God to speak. He has spoken. Now let's respond. Are you ready 
to believe and trust in Jesus and him alone for your salvation. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. Thank you for making that message simple today. That if we would simply believe and trust in Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the the sent one, who is also your son, that we would have abundant and eternal life in his name. So Father, we're praying that as we, as we sing, as we pray, that Father, your spirit would move in our hearts, speak to us and draw us into the eternal, abundant, life-giving relationship that comes from Christ. We pray this in his powerful, powerful name.